Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast. I am Adam Lavecki, and I am here with DK Kim, and we are your hosts. Thank you for joining us. We are in this space to help you renew your mind and transform your life. We will be having helpful, honest, and hard conversations about culture and the kingdom of God. These conversations will help you to not be conformed to this current culture and will help you to grow in Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and make disciples. This is an ongoing digital discipleship discussion. If you find this helpful, please subscribe, review, and share the Be Transformed podcast. Episode 15, Following Jesus. Today is, uh, is going to be exciting. A lot of people are afraid to follow Jesus because if they pray and follow Jesus, he might send them to Africa. <laughs> and so that's exactly what God did to Brother Newberger here. We're here with missionary Peter Newberger, uh, a great guy. Uh, we've been with him in nations, Rwanda, uh, Kenya, Zambia, and more nations to come. We love him and his Kashaba tribe and what God is doing with them. So we just want to talk about following Jesus and um, kind of what that's like just in the context of family and with family, and then some observations and some things that he's learning, things that God's doing, and some takeaways uh, for those of you who are not going to move to Africa next week. And so anyway, we're here with Peter, so we're excited. So Peter, just let us know just a little bit about you, kind of how long you've been in Africa, and kind of like a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I've, well, I've had the privilege of living in Africa now for 15 years, um, moved there in 2007. So before, um, before I walked out this missionary call, uh, I was in the spice and seasoning realm as in business, worked for the third largest company in the world in their North American division. So I, I know a lot about spices and seasonings. And knew at some point would transition to Africa for missions, just waiting for the timing. And then the timing happened. So that was 2007. Um, been 15 years. We started in Tanzania in a city called Moshi uh, at the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, in 2019, we moved to northern Rwanda. Uh, and now that season's coming to a close and we're shifting south uh, out of East Africa and into Southern Africa then to the great nation of Zambia. So Zambia is known as the gateway to Southern Africa. Um, and we're excited about the season as we continue the works in all these other nations we've been in as we operate in East Africa, but many more nations we know are coming in the next few years as well. Yeah, it was, it was great to be with you. We were just actually with you earlier this year mm -hmm. in Zambia. And one of the things that I thought was really amazing is that our ministry partnered with his ministry, and so they were doing a clean water distribution, and they winded up on the national news. That's right. And I thought, look at God, how God will take these resources and use this to just open a door of favor for Peter, because I don't really need to be on the news because I'm not moving to Zambia, and you are on the news because you're moving to Zambia. And I just thought that God is just so good at um, just moving and opening doors and and God is actually strategic in the doors that he opens and the things that he does and ultimately I, I was just so encouraged by that because I'm like I mean we never would have been like hey we need to be on the news let's try to get on the news like that's never at all what we're thinking about 
but yet God knew you're moving there. And, you know, that, that would cause you to be received with a warm uh, welcome. And you are very unmistakable mm-hmm. as it relates to uh, the other Zambian citizens. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just thought that was awesome. And uh, I just love your heart. I love what you guys are doing, the sacrifices that you and your family have made uh, for the kingdom and for the continent of Africa. And so I'm, I'm excited to be partnering with you and some of the other upcoming projects and nations and things. And it was a, just a great joy to have you do the mission intensive today uh, at We See Jesus Ministries and, and just what we're kind of trying to build among the local folks uh, who are engaged in mission and wanting to walk that out. And so we're, we're just excited just for the friendship and the relationship. So in the context of you guys following Jesus and, and being, you know, mobile, wouldn't, would, would you say that following Jesus, it's necessary to be kind of like mobile and flexible? Absolutely. Yeah. And does that become a little more difficult when you have like five kids? <laughs> um, it can. Um, but at the same time, we've been doing this long enough um, that you just get used to it. You get used to um, traveling back and forth and developing, between my wife and I, developing a rapport on, uh, well, open communication on what invitations we say yes to, what do we not do, how do we establish family, uh, whether we're in the mission field or not, what are we going to do to create a culture in our own family, and then being faithful to implement that. So, um, But you do have to be flexible for sure, especially an American living in Africa with you know everything there structured differently because the thought process and the peoples are very different from our linear thought in Western culture to, I don't know if circular thought's the right way, but Eastern thought is very different from Western thought. And so if you're not flexible, you will break. Um, and you know we've seen that with a variety of missionaries that are there for a few years and then they just can't handle it anymore. It's too difficult, too hard. They just can't adapt to a new culture in a new way, and and they go home. Yeah. Do you think false expectations kind of kills a lot of destiny? Um, I think that can happen. What what I would say is, it takes a while to get established on the mission field. So you need. We like we didn't feel like we were really living successfully in Tanzania uh, till about five years of being there. Wow! Figuring out how to do things, where to go shopping, where the best deals are, where the police set roadblocks so you avoid them, so you don't have the hassle. Um, where to go for good food, uh, where to go for entertainment for the kids, where are the safe places to go, the best routes of getting around. Uh, when we need medical care, where do we go? Uh, you don't want to really go to the hospital. So who's the trusted physicians in town to go to? And all of that takes a lot of time to figure out. Um, and so you have to be on the ground. And so, um, you know, those first couple of years can be really rough. And that's where a lot of missionaries don't survive is like pushing through the all that hard stuff because everything's so new and so different um, and it can just be overwhelming at times for people. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's where that grace, truly the grace 
comes in where you have that grace and the call so that you can look at all that stuff that might be difficult or drive you crazy and you can slough it off and you focus on the the assignment you focus on what god's doing you focus on what he has shown you and be faithful to that that's awesome i mean we're not talking about a rough weekend <laughs> or a rough we talk a rough, this, here's a rough couple of years i mean this yeah. is this is i people need to hear this because I mean, this is important. Yeah, like when when uh, we had one baby, uh, we had one kid. Noella was about two, and she has she she's got some kind of virus and can't breathe, and we don't want to take her to the hospital because that's not going to help us. They don't have what we need. So for two straight nights, I had to sit up in the chair and hold her on my chest because she could breathe while she was vertical but she would not breathe well at all while lying in the bed wow so for two nights i had to hold i had to stay up all night and hold her so she could get enough rest so she could recover um and then you know after two nights i told my wife i said i'm having a psychotic break i need to go sleep and i slept all day um because and that's that's like some of the realities of being over there that people you know people don't know like um and that's just the way it is you know, because we didn't have established people to go see, and you don't want to go to an African hospital. That's why I take teams there to pray for the sick, because they're one of the most hopeless places. And honestly, in some of those places, they don't really know what they're doing, because they don't have the expertise, the education, or the equipment. And it can be a crapshoot with how they dispense medical care. Like, and that was, you know, in Moshi 10, 15 years ago. You know, there's other places like Nairobi that has state-of-the-art hospitals, but you know, we weren't in position to go visit them or anything. Yeah. So in that uh, first five years of preparation, so to speak, and you're met with adversity or obstacles, did you ever question the mission or the assignment? No. Okay, so that was always clear. And That was that very happened? clear, um, you know, from, like, the call. And I remember, you know, God was birthing something to me in Africa, and there's a longer story with even goes back to, for me personally, the history of my birth, you know, being a miracle baby, like doctors couldn't explain how I was born, but I was born. And I remember in 97, I was at Randy Clark meetings at Emmanuel's Church in Silver Spring, Maryland. Wow. And God was stirring to me as a time of great, you know how when everything's fresh, you're jumping into the kingdom and you're just like, whoa, wow. And everything's exciting. You're yeah. intense and you're passionate. So I went to... um one of one, he had two weeks of meetings there, and one of the nights he did a call, and he it was a specific call. And so, if if uh, he's looking out from the platform on his right, he goes, "If you're called to be a missionary, go there." And then evangelist, and then it was church planner, worship leader, whatever. And as clear as the day, the Lord spoke to me and said, "I want you to straddle the line between missionary and evangelist, and I want you to kneel." And I got a commission from the Lord. Wow. And now it didn't come to pass till 10 years later in its fullness, um, but that's where it was, and that marked me. Um, and that changes the direction. At that time, you know, I was playing college basketball, junior college, looking for a D1 scholarship, um, and that changed my direction. Instead, I went into YWAM, uh, into missions, did schools there. Wow. Um, and so that has always been a bedrock, and then there's been more that's been added to that. So had an open vision in January of 2007 in Karatu, Tanzania, that still guides me to this day. Mm, wow. wow. So he was just marked by the, by the presence of the Lord and by the purposes of God, and through someone, 
using the authority God gave them to call people into ministry. And Randy has laid hands on thousands of people that have very fruitful ministries. And um, even, even you know, the story of Leaf and Randy and... Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker mm-hmm. and, and just how, you know, Leaf was just a burnt out, angry, you know, Baptist pastor. And then the Holy Spirit touched him. And, you know, Heidi was just a burnt out missionary in the Holy Spirit. And now, you know, it's interesting just how... There's so much uh, connection within the charismatic movement of people that God has touched, and then these people are directly bearing fruit Mm -hmm. as a result of a touch from God. Right. It's like with Leif. Leif got the touch from Randy um, in 95 in Norway, and Leif was the one who opened the door for me to come to Africa. So we were with his ministry when we first came to Africa, so without that touch, that door doesn't open for me. And then what we're seeing now is it wouldn't be happening without all of those different touches along the way from the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Yeah. And it's interesting because what connects me to you, right? This is interesting. What connects me to you is Abner. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I met Abner at Bethany Church in Wyckoff, where in 94, when Toronto was happening, there was a move of the Holy Spirit, and Abner was visiting that church, and that was a church that the man who led my father to Christ Hmm. gave me a prophetic word and said, you need to go to that church. I went there. I met Abner. I met my current pastor today, and through Abner, I met you, and Brett, whose house we're recording this podcast in, used to go to Bethany Church. Hmm. And so there was there's a connection there, and the guy that gave Brett a word that changed his life was from there. <laughs> so there's there's a and this is a place where the Holy Spirit was moving in a manifested way and showing up. And so it's very interesting how there's purpose connected to people in places that God has previously shown up in manifested ways. And so now we're here building for the future and the reason I'm pursuing a relationship, you know, and we, we've been friends. It started with a word from God about Africa. And when the Lord spoke that to me, I it was, it was only a little bit of Africa that was open. And then now through you and through what you're doing, it makes perfect sense to walk out this word with you because you have these ongoing meaningful relationships and our vision is to empower local churches to bring the power of the kingdom and also practical things that make people's lives better. And so to me, it's just Mm -hmm. like a a perfect relationship. And as someone who does his own trips, I know what it takes to do a trip. And I'm like, I'm happy to show up on your trip (laughs) with some water filters, you know, and just celebrate what you're doing. And I love your heart for leaders. I love, you know, what you poured in today in terms of new creation, new temple, new you know, new covenant, just all of that, you know, was really helpful. And so my thing is that many times as Americans, because we have resources and opportunities, we go into other places as influencers, not necessarily because we're great or anything special, but because God has has blessed us in a way where we have some education or we have some resources. And so we're going in and pouring, you know, into places, which is a blessing and a responsibility. 
But one of the things I've learned is that many times I've learned many, many, many things in terms of interacting with the poor and just seeing uh, how God is moving and how the scripture says the poor are rich in faith and being around the richness of their faith. And so there's so many things that God is doing. So if you could just tell us, like, you've been following Jesus for a while now, what are some takeaways that you have learned ministering in Africa and and in the context of family? And what have you learned from the church in Africa that you think would be helpful to Americans and to just Westerners in this current just environment? Mm. That's a loaded Two questions there. Yeah. Um, so family and then what we can learn from the African church. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll start with family. I think it's important to build a culture within one's family. And I know I'd mentioned, briefly touched on that earlier, but you know, you really have to be intentional, intentional about setting the culture for your family and what you're going to invest in, what you're, what the influences you're going to allow in and the ones you're going to keep away. Um, and, and it takes time. It takes effort. It takes uh, seeking the counsel of the Lord um, and following his leading and discernment. Um, and that can't be understated because here in the West, we have so many influences, social media especially. Um, I'll, personally, I think social media has been a strong detriment to family and the revelation of family. Um, I know we all use it to get our information out about what we're doing, so there's benefits to it, but I've seen it just rob relationship within families and between people because um, we'll just sit there, and I, I get guilty of this at times too, so I'm talking to myself here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm chief of Me sinners. Me too, I know what you're going. I'm chief of sinners. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and so that robs us of relationship where 20 years ago, we would just be sitting and talking in a room to each other, getting to know people's stories, uh, hearing people's hearts. It was much easier and much more common. And that's become really more difficult now. Um, we think, you know, oftentimes we think if I send a direct message on Facebook to somebody that constitutes relationship, but it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Like you build relationship going through the fire. So if you think about the people you're closest to in your life, your best friends, your spiritual mentors. You know, I think of Doug, my spiritual father. Like, yeah. we're close because we did life together and we were living it together, going through the fires and also getting on the mountaintop and experiencing the glory. We weren't taking selfies, but we were in the moment together. <laughs> and those are the relationships that, you know, that you keep for life. Yeah. You know, those are the lasting ones. And that translates to family. Like, if you want to have those type of relationships with your family, like, then you got to invest in the same way yeah. with your kids. Like, you know, and so I try to do that with my kids, go out on daddy-daughter dates, um, you know, at least once a quarter with them. I have five kids, so yeah. it, it That's a up. week. That's a week of <laughs> That's dating. A week. That's a week every quarter, <laughs> um, you know, and finding out their likes and finding out their passions and listening to their hearts and so that I can help um, guide them as they move forward, discovering who they are and, uh, you know, helping them hear the voice of the Lord and discover what maybe God wants for them and it takes time and it takes intentionality. That that would be the my biggest word, intentionality. Intentionality and time. That's mm -hmm. what helps create the culture mm -hmm. that you want in your family to serve the purpose of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, something interesting, uh, recently DK and I and our wives were in the Dominican Republic. 
And, you know, we had some really great ongoing conversations. And the reason that we thought we were going there was not actually the reason why we went there. <laughs> we went there to sign papers. I never even signed the papers. But anyway, we had a great time. And I said to him at the end, I said, man, we, we're having such a good time. We forgot to take a picture. And I realized, darn, I really would have liked to have a picture of that time. But we were actually too busy in that time, enjoying that time mm -hmm. to actually take a picture of that time. Not that I'm against a picture. I think it's really important, especially when you're with your wife and all that. I get that. But I, I think that it's it's important that we are preoccupied with the present, not just with, you know, a photo op. Right. But, and so there's a tension there like, yeah, I want, I want to capture that moment. And that's the beauty of a picture. Mm -hmm. The beauty of a picture is that it captures a moment. It doesn't... It's not just it reminds me of what I look like. It just, it captures a moment in time that you'll never have again. Right. And so that's that's the one thing that I'm like, pictures and videos are priceless. Yes. In that sense, especially when you have kids and, and just, or you actually love your wife. But in general, like, it's just actually a beautiful thing uh, to do. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing. So I'm going to kind of just ask you just another question too, because you, you, you set the tone um, in the sense of like, what does it take time and intentionality to build a culture in your family that's conducive to serving the purpose of the kingdom? But what are some of the challenges that contend for that culture? Like as a missionary, as a minister, ministering yep. cross-culturally, what are some challenges? Um, something I mentioned today at the Missions Intentive, but something Leif Hetland told me. It's not what you say yes to, Peter, that counts. It's what you say no to. And so to me, one of the things I've learned, it's important to the ability to say no, to set boundaries, to say, no, I'm going to keep that time for my family. I'm going to keep that time for my wife. I'm going to create um, opportunities for us to be together. And yeah, I might have to say no to that ministry opportunity. I might have to say no to getting together with this person. It's not that those things are bad. Those are ultimately good things. But I have to create a priority if I want to set a culture and I want to be intentional about it. Because, you know, one, this is my wife and I, we work this out. There's a tension. It's a healthy tension. Like, it's a good tension, and we're both aware of it. We both talk about it all the time on family and ministry, which is always the number one question for... This is what we talk about when we get together as itinerants, like yeah. when I was like Will Hart and all those guys that I have had the privilege of knowing. You know, we would ask this question all the time, like how do you how do you balance that? Because we haven't had a lot of role models in the kingdom yes. that have had both successful ministries and successful families. And I can name yeah. the names of many of the people we uh, look to, and I know the story of p kids and their families. Yeah, and. Like the only one I know that has been successful is Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson. And here's a cool story. So now we're going to tangent here. So Bill Johnson likes to hunt. And when he hunts, oftentimes he comes to Alaska. And my father-in-law is the hunting guide for him. And so Bill came up in 2020. or Actually, no, 2021. I'm sorry. Uh, so last year to hunt. So he's staying at the house. And that afforded me um opportunities to have a couple three hour sessions just to talk with bill which was amazing very personal i love huge. bill johnson huge huge and so i've had a question i've wanted to ask him for 10 years and i've been sitting on it waiting till i had the time to ask him 
And so while this time up there, I finally got the question asked. I said, Bill, um, you know, I gave a little backstory. I said, you know, my peer group in ministry, we always are trying to figure out like how to do ministry and family both successfully and both faithfully. Yeah. And we don't have a lot of role models, but we see you, we see all your kids loving Jesus, following him, serving him. We know you've done something right. And so how can you speak into this question? And I got a 10 minute answer. I have it recorded. Um, and it was amazing. And would you sell it? Um, I, I probably would. If you got 50 bucks, I'll give you the download right now. And uh, there are several things he said, and there's more to it, but this is what I remember. Number one, first thing he said is, do not underestimate the power of play. Like you have to set everything aside and play. Have fun with your family. Have fun with your kids. Yep. Take them out to do uh, fun things. Um, second thing he said is when you come home, make sure you're home. Wow. So turn off your phone, turn off the ministry, be present for your family, your wife, your kids, turn it off. Wow. Let them know that they have a priority when you're with them. And that's a struggle for a lot of us. Yeah, it is. Especially because of the phone. Right. And what the phone means and what we do with the phone. Yep. So there was that. Third thing he said was... Take your kids into the presence of the Lord. Yes. So what he and Benny would do is they would take their kids to meetings they were not preaching at, ministering at, just so that they were positioned in the presence of the Lord so that they would have their own encounters. Mm. Beautiful. And so he gave a few more things. Um, but that, it was like, I got a mil- I had a $10,000 question and I got a million-dollar answer. And to me, because, yeah. you know, Bill's the, Bill's the example. Like He's all the his kids, father of the charismatic movement. Yeah, and all his kids are serving the Lord. They love Jesus. Different facets of ministry yep. and following Him, and and it's like the one example. And so when you get an answer from like from like that from the father of the faith, like you need to listen to that. And so ever since then, I've tried to be more intentional. Like when I'm home, let's turn off the phone. Um, try to be, you know, play games with my kids, have fun. Now I'm trying to like, okay, what what fun things can we do in this area? So we spent like when we were driving through, um, I don't know, Denver, we go to the kids museum for a day. Um, you know, people want to get together. No, I'm going to do this with my family. Go to the beach. You're spending your treasure, your time, your talent in order to create these opportunities for fun. And then you have you end like you have these growing relationships with your kids that will bear significant fruit in the future. Yeah. So that's that's beautiful. It feels like such a countercultural word because even in the world, I feel like setting a family culture is non-existent now. It's like we're allowing schools and peers and other things to set the culture. So I don't think even the idea of setting a family culture exist yeah. yeah like i grew up you know i grew up as a pk and so like we would do devotions every day before school my dad would sit down with all the kids and we would do devotions read a little scripture talk about it say a little prayer um even things we'd have a family prayer at dinner yep. um and so like i've adopted that so now we do we do a devotion in the evening yeah. um where i get the kids together we have this thing by louis giglio it's like god yep. and nature yep it's beautiful yep you know, and they're interested in it because it's nature, nature. bugs, yeah. weather, you know, space. 
and it gives a little principle, and then I pray over them each night, yep. you know, the mosaic blessing. Um, and those are the little things that you can do to establish a culture in a family. Yep. Um, there's more I would like to do. Like, we'll probably, Rebecca and I have talked about it, we'll definitely do some more once we get established in Zambia. It's a little hard to do in other people's houses and such where yeah. you don't get to set the rules. Um but, you know, I want to be intentional about that type of culture. And yes, it is countercultural now. And yeah. that lets me know I'm spot on. I know I'm in the right place. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. Because, you know, I know what I grew up with. I know what I got from my parents and then from my grandparents. And I don't want to lose that just because we have more uh, toys yeah. and technology. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be a little old school. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I grew up in... In a New Jersey Christian, I should say Christian, New Jersey Italian family where we eat dinner every day together. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not like traveling or out with someone, like we eat dinner like legitimately five or six days a week together. Yep. And that's another thing that I think is real powerful for our kids. We have uh, a night um, devotional. And since I'm homeschooling them and we're at our own house, like we, we do worship in the morning. So like setting that, you know, tone for their day and and just building that into them is is really essential. And I just I just love what you're doing because you're teaching your kids to love people that look different than them and to really just to to be kingdom citizens, which is beautiful. And I think that the nations have so much to offer us. Mm-hmm. And so I want to just kind of go back to what have you learned just doing ministry in Africa and what what can we learn from the church in Africa and from what God is doing there? Like, are there some takeaways for us? Mm-hmm. Um, there's culture in the church. And so I'll try to answer the church uh, first. And so some of the things that I've seen... Um, one of the things that I've seen is how gratefulness unlocks the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we, we do a lot of evangelism, especially uh, previously, and we do crusades. And I like to call them mountain crusades or village crusades, where you go to a small place. Maybe you have a few hundred people there. But I have seen God do the greatest miracles, and we've had some of the most incredible moments of His presence in those places. And one of the things that I've figured out, it's because the people are so grateful to be remembered. Like someone from overseas wants to come and spend time and preach the gospel here. They're not in the big city of Moshi or Dar Salaam or Nairobi or Lusaka. But this Peter guy is here at mile up on Mount Kilimanjaro with 400, 500 people in a churchyard with a rickety stage and a sound system that doesn't work. And uh, and yet we see God do the most amazing things in those places. Yep. Like those are actually my favorite things to do. Yes. Um, and part of it is the gratefulness of the people pull something down out of heaven. Mm-hmm. Like they just pull something from his presence because they're just so grateful, beautiful, and they're so they're so thankful, and uh, and so that's one of the things that I've learned that gratefulness and thankfulness in the church there um, unlocks heaven. So I got to ask you a question, and I ask this in a facetious manner, but do I have to live in a shack to be thankful? 
Like, can <laughs> no. I, can I, you know, no, <laughs> no, no. Thankfulness is a state of, it's, it's almost like a state of mind. Okay. It doesn't matter whether you have a lot or you have little, like Paul talks about that, whether I, whether I have much or whether I have yeah. little, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for Jesus for what I do have. And so, yeah. so it's really like just a state of mind, like we're thankful for whatever we have. Maybe one day it's just the air that we breathe that we're thankful for, and we can be thankful for that. Some days it's the $10,000 check that comes in Jesus, uh, to cover stuff, or $100,000. Let's just prophesy a little yes, bit. Yes, Father. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so we're grateful for that. And yep. so I've just learned from them just to be grateful in everything. I don't expect anything which really allows you to be more grateful and thankful when anything does happen. Yeah. Um, and it seems to work. <laughs> yeah. So so that's you would say that they're just thankful that you see them and you come. And they're remembered. And that, that unlocks heaven. What are some other things that you've learned just ministering in that environment? I know exactly the environment you're speaking of. Um, you know, I think there's a lot. I remember this was really cool. This is... So this, um, I had a friend, uh, my agent in Dar Salaam who moved our container originally had a brother uh, in Kilimanjaro. He was in a motorcycle accident, pretty bad. Wow. So he called me to ask him to go do a hospital visit. So I go into the hospital and his leg is just mangled. And uh, so we pray together. I pray for healing um, and I leave. So I come back a few days later and I come back, his leg's gone. They amputated it because that's what they do oh, there. Oh, Jesus. And... Uh, so I was just like, wow. And so I was talking to him, and he was just like, the perspective blew me away. It, it marked me, because I'm telling the story here on the podcast. That's how you know it marked me. And he was just like, um, I can't remember his name. It's Zephaniah's brother. And uh, he, he, he said, you know, I've lived however many years, 45 years with two legs. Now I'm going to start a new life. It's a new beginning with one leg. And that was Whoa. his perspective. He wasn't bitter. He wow. wasn't angry. He was like, now I'm going to do something new. And I was like, like the faith, like, like how, like I, I, I was astounded and I'm still astounded because like 99.9% yeah. of us would be bitter and angry. Oh, God, yeah. you didn't heal my leg. You didn't touch my leg. And now I lost my leg. I'm going to have to limp around on a crutch. I can't ride a motorcycle anymore. I can't play basketball anymore. Yeah. How am I supposed to be with my kids? And like, but this guy had such a completely different perspective wow. of being flexible. Like, how are you flexible with that? But yeah. he was, and um, that taught me a lot. You know, yeah, that's very impacting. So, so would you say too that one of the things from the African church that has kind of, in, you know, built your faith too is kind of the way they, the way they suffer. Yeah, they. They like are, as a culture, like they're since since suffering is more a part of their culture, right? They handle it in a more kingdom manner. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that would be very fair. Like there's, you know, there's there's a lot less bitterness than what we would see here in the West. Like people do get bitter with the suffering because it's hard. Yeah, like it's hard over there. But the grace that I've seen many Africans handle suffering and difficult times, handle lack when they don't have food. Um, it it challenges me, and it challenges how I've responded in the past. Like when COVID was going down, Rwanda locked down really hard, yeah. so they shut all the churches down for four months. No one could go. It's crazy. People were basically under house arrest for four months, 
And so I had pastors that were connected to in Orlando start to write me, and they had no food. And so I got a message from one of the guys. Um, I, I know what he looks like. He had glasses. I, he's in my phone. I could find it. And he was like, you know, Peter, we're just grateful to know you. Like, I gathered my family today. We ate the last of our food, and we've committed ourselves to God. Like, basically, like, we may starve to death because we have no food. There's no food available, and we can't buy any. I have no money. And obviously, that created that co- that his story, along with others, caused us to mobilize, and we raised money to feed him and, and get him through. We raised $22,000 for the church pastors in Rwanda to eat during COVID. Wow. Um, not on my watch. Yeah. Um, and... But that attitude, like, we're just going to trust ourselves to the Lord. If we die, we die, but then we'll be with Him. Wow. And and I'm just like, that's pretty amazing. Not to be bitter in that moment. Yeah, that's Not intense. to be angry at God. God, why are you not providing? But, but you see how that works? Like, His honesty and His integrity and the way that He moved in grace through that situation then inspired me with His story to mobilize the church in America— and we raised, you know, our ministry, it isn't that big, $22,000 to yeah. feed pastors and leaders and also the community there in Musan's. Like, it was a great story. Pacific, my brother from another mother there, we worked with the local government, and it became this really big thing where the church gained in favor in the eyes of the government yes. because we, we fed their people yeah. when they couldn't. Yes, that's awesome. And so, you know, now Pacific has tremendous favor there. The government consults them on all different... Pro- like, there's a lot of great stuff that has come out of that difficult situation, um, which is really cool. That's awesome. And you also are really fulfilling your apostolic calling in caring for pastors. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's a whole nother level of influence and responsibility. It's like, here you have these guys... They're struggling every week. People have no idea. You know, their kids, some of them don't go to school, and and they're they're not really well educated, many. And so they're seeking God for a message. They're seeking God for food. They're trying to love widows and orphans, although they themselves are poor. And, you know, it's like hard times come, then they're they have a great need, and then God uses you to step in. And to care for the people that are caring for the people, mm-hmm. which is beautiful because we 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 get to participate with that, and and that's that's really our heart as well. Because I, what I found is that when you're faithful in ministry, God entrusts you with more responsibility, and instead of just ministering to people, you're also ministering to ministers who minister to people, and so to me that that's a result of your faithfulness. And then the finances follow the faithfulness, and then that opens the door of favor for Pacific. And that helps the work of the gospel continue in their nation. And so it's interesting how something is as menial as, okay, we're going to feed you, how that opens the door for them to then seek his counsel and his insight. Because he is a wise man, well-spoken, educated, spirit-filled. I, I know, you know, he's a wise guy. There's a cool story with this, to continue with that story. So later on that year, so this is 2020... Um, Pacific, all the pastors are gathered and they do that. And so what Pacific didn't know is they were planning something that night. So this is the pastors in Musans. You've met them. Yep. We had this incredible encounter, March 2020. Like when we first got there, they were very resistant to Pacific. And to me, 
And to Doug was up, like Doug was there the really? first couple of times. Oh yeah, at the Kingdom message. The we were a message and a half in, and I thought we might get run out of town. Wow. Like that's how hard it was in like, you know, and if you know the history of Rwanda genocide, like it's hard, hard, you know, trying to God is a loving God and Father God loves you is that's a tough message there. Yeah. And so over the years we chipped away and we got breakthrough. And so in this, I think this is October, November twenty twenty, the pastors meeting and they're all there, and Pacific doesn't know that this happens. The pastors get up, and they take a collection for Pacific and his family just to bless him. And then what they say is, um, and it was geared towards, but they did like mention me. They were like, and, and we know Peter's a part of this, but you're the one that's here. Wow. And they were like, you were stood by us. You kept us fed. You cared for us. And we know that what you have been doing here is true, and it's God. And we pledge our hearts to you, and we are with you 100%. Beautiful. The whole city. And so now they're taking, now together, they're taking it to other districts. Other pastors are going, Pacific's not even going, and like they are united. So seeing that's fruit of COVID, like there's always fruit in the midst of trial and tribulation if you find it. And so now there's a united front in Northern Rwanda in Musans that is touching other districts now. Um, And, uh, and yeah, it's because you cared for people and loved people. It wasn't just to gather people for a meeting. Like when people were down, we helped them. And here's here's the thing out of that. That's awesome. Um, I have a point. Hold on. It's trying to leave. I got it. Um, oh, shoot. It was a really good point. <sighs> so while you engage in that point, I want to make, I want to share something that I learned from being with your trip in Rwanda. So I remember that, first of all, that trip changed the life of the person's house we're recording this podcast in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's that there's that minor detail. And that person is now adopting two kids from Burundi, which mm-hmm. is the poorest country in the world. Another minor detail. But in addition to those details, um, I said to Brett, and I was serious, I said, people are going to get saved here by accident. And he looked at me like, are you crazy? And I'm like, you'll see. And we were walking through a village in Rwanda where... There had just been a massacre um, from people from Congo hopped over the border and were hacking people with machetes. And this is only a few months uh, previous. Some guy comes up to us, taps me on the shoulder and says, I want to get born again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I turned to Brett and I said, I see, you t- I told you. And through that whole story, the Lord showed me something that I-, I was very surprised at the level of unity in the church in Rwanda. And obviously, you're you're making reference to what was built even more in COVID. But when I first got there, I think we did a pastors conference. There was five, six, seven hundred pastors mm-hmm. there from a bunch of different nations in Africa. Which, when you have people don't people got to get this when African pastors are flying in from other African nations to be at a conference, it's a big deal. Yeah, people don't get that. Like this is a big deal, even though you're not like I'm a big deal. This is a big deal. God is doing something. And this is genuinely God. And I I learned something that there's a direct connection between the unity of the church and the receptivity of the community. So the more unified the church is, the more receptive the community is to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was like, man, like it, I'm not saying that the genocide produced that, but as a result of the genocide and as a result of the pain and the suffering, Sometimes you don't realize the value of people 
until your nation has been torn apart. Mm-hmm. And not not that we want that or not that that was good in any way. I'm just saying that through many different trials and tribulations and things that happen, God is able to bring forth beauty from ashes, even though he didn't send you know right. the, yep. the ashes. He, he's the one that produces the beauty. And so I was just like, man, that really marked me. And that, that was important for me because I find that the enemy is always trying to divide and conquer, whether you're de- dealing in the developing world uh, or or just in the West in general, where, where, we're, where we're at. It's, it's like, if the enemy can divide us, he can conquer us. If he cannot divide us, he will not conquer us. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was really important and I really appreciated the the you laying down your life and then the lesson that I learned through you guys laying down your life and, and just serving the purposes of the kingdom uh, in Africa specifically in Rwanda so that was really um, that was really helpful for me and I and I appreciate that so is there any last things that you would say from the African church that you're like yeah there, there there's something here. Or, or do you think just the thankfulness and just the need? Um, I think in t- um, their faith, where because there isn't a whole lot there, they they're forced to turn to God in all things. Like here, we have all of this good stuff. It's all good stuff. Yeah, it's not. But bad. we'll turn to it first. Like we'll go to the doctor's office before we pray for healing. Yeah. Right. We'll pop an ibuprofen or a Tylenol. When we have pain, instead of going to him, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Where over there they don't have access to that, so there's a, they just have a much greater reliance on God, and so they have a faith for all things, because I guess in some ways because they're forced to, because they just don't have another option. They make God first because they don't really have another option, and we make God somewhere when we really, 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 really run out of options. (laughs) And so I've been trying to change, like that's been a personal journey of mine to change my response. Beautiful. To always turn to the Lord first, not just for the big things, but even for the small things, even the mundane things. Um, Because I want to, right, we want to live a life of faith. We want to live a life of reliance on Him where we're uh, connected to Him in all things, not just when we really need him to show up. Agreed. Yeah, I think uh, I heard it this way. Uh, in those countries, God is the first response, but here he could be our last resort. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair statement at times. That's awesome. And so I guess our takeaway from that is just learning to go to the Lord first, not saying medicine is bad or this is no, bad. No, not at but all. Just in the sense of we're going to him first, we're seeking him first, and... um yeah, I think that that's really important. Peter, if people want to connect more uh, with your ministry, how can they do that? Um, they can connect with us on social media. If you go to uh, website, kashabatribe.com, um, if you even get remotely spell it correctly, we're the only thing that will show up <laughs> on <laughs> we'll Google throw search. we uh, captions as well. Yeah. Um, kashabatribe.com. com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, it's all there. Um, I, you know, people really want to connect. Come on, on one of our mission trips. Um, we have several lined up for next year. So next May we're in Zambia again, and that's going to have a strong prophetic focus with Brother Abner coming, and then yes. also Bob Hazlitt. Some people will know that oh, name powerful. as well. 
Um, and then next July in Kenya, in Nyahururu, Kenya, um, that will be uh, Foundations of the Kingdom and the Father's Love. Um, I'm waiting for confirmations from a couple people, but you know who I've talked about. Um, awesome. And then next October in West Kilimanjaro, um, yes. that'll be among the Maasai tribe, and that'll have a strong healing uh, and deliverance and evangelistic focus. Yeah. Um, the goal is for our ministry to do a clean water project with you in Tanzania in 2023. Yeah, on that trip. And so, yeah, I'm excited about that. That'll be really good. Yeah, I'm excited. So anyway, if you want to know more about Peter and his wife and their ministry, Kashaba tribe.com and i just want to say he's a great guy to go on a trip with a great guy to partner with monthly uh we love him we believe in him thanks for listening thank you peter you're welcome my pleasure to be here adam levecki here on behalf of dk kim and i we want to thank you for listening to the be transformed podcast If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.